Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Up next on Inside the SCCA, growing a class. Today, our guest is Frank Schwartz. He refers to himself as almost 40 years off again, on again as an SCCA member. He has done a little bit of everything in the club. Solo event chair. I love the term cone shagger, a rally checkpoint worker, a newsletter editor, timing and scoring, driver's school instructor. He's a driver now in one of the most uh, popular classes growing in the club. Uh, he's been uh, a fundraiser for the SCCA Foundation. He has also been a board of directors member for the SCCA Foundation. Frank Schwartz, how are you today? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. Great, great. I appreciate you uh, taking a little time to jump on this new thing we call Inside the SCCA. You'll be one of our first handful of guests, and it was, uh, it's was it been fun getting to getting these things started. So I'm really enjoying it and, and, and doing, doing this thing here. So your start in the club and your 40 years, it sounds like you've done a lot of the same types of things I've done, which is why one of the reasons why your story intrigues me. Uh, I've been off again, on again for 35 years. My off again time has usually had to do with lack of money. <laughs> I think that's probably a story of a lot of uh, SCCA members. I've done a lot of the same things that you've done, timing and scoring, flagger. I was a flag chief. I haven't done the newsletter yet, but that's surprising me because as a journalist, you'd think that was something I'd have on the list. Done a little bit of driving, done some solo done a little done a little road rally so i think our our paths are somewhat similar but your path is interesting because you've been real successful helping take some classes that might not have had large participations and and help bring those classes back to to popularity uh in particular i guess bspec is where we should start right um sure tell us a little bit about how you first got involved in BSpec. Let's start with kind of like the beginning. So uh, I'm a longtime regional racer. I ran a ITC Ford Fiesta and just local events uh, in North Carolina when I lived there and in Michigan where I moved up uh, here in 1991. And it, it was really uh, based on the fact that the cars were inexpensive. And uh, like you, lack of money. Boy, that's a that's a big one. A uh, uh, big part for me, though, has always been what are the other things that I can do that are involved in racing that can help contribute to paying for racing. So for, for many years, I sold uh, spare parts. Uh, I had 49 Ford Fiestas at one point and became the largest seller of used Fiesta parts in the world uh, with a website called Fiesta Frank. Um, so 
I've always been looking at unique ways to uh, tie everything in together so that I can do what my passion is, which is sit behind a steering wheel in a car. doesn't really matter if it's a rally cross, autocross, road race, uh, road rally. I'm, I'm, I'm in for pretty much all of them. That sounds like a lot of people in the club, you know, they get involved because they like they love cars. Uh, they get along, uh, get involved because they want to maybe find a way to go fast without getting arrested uh, yeah. or maybe or maybe without getting hurt, too. That's also yeah. a big deal. So uh, you were asking how I got involved in B-Spec. So, right, right. you know, there's my, there's my foundation. So when B-Spec became a pro series in 2000. 11 or 12 or whenever it was, uh, I certainly was like, gosh, I wish I had money to go pro racing and there's just no way possible. So um, I just continued to race my Fiesta. And then when the uh, runoff started at uh, Indian 2017, I, you know, after 30 some years of regional racing, I did my first uh, national event now called Majors, of course, uh, by renting a friend's Honda in uh, H production class. So uh, for the 2017 year, uh, I drove an H production and we were on track with B-Spec cars. And I'm thinking, boy, that's really where I want to be. Low horsepower, front wheel drive cars. Uh, driving talent is critical. Car setup is important, but, you know, how much money you pour into it is not uh, the be all end all. So uh, 2018, I started looking for a car. Uh, I found a couple of Fiestas for sale. Uh, I couldn't make a deal stick. And the next car that came available after that was a Mini Cooper, and I bought a Mini Cooper. And uh, just by sheer chance, and I have a street one, but, you know, it could have been a Honda Fit or a Yaris or any of the other cars in class. It was just sure. what was available. Well, and the, and the the Mini Coopers have been, you know, pretty successful in B-Spec, spec, especially over the last couple of years. So a good choice. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I lucked into it because that's what was available, right? And uh, immediately after buying the car and posting it on Facebook, I probably had 10 people give me a call and say, what kind of idiot are you? The <laughs> class is dying. Uh, famously at the 2017 uh, runoffs at Indianapolis during the B-Spec broadcast, uh, one of the announcers said, you know, the class is going away. And they're like, you just wasted a bunch of money on a class that you can't run. And my day job, uh, I'm a business consultant, strategic and uh, sales and marketing. So companies come to me to grow their business. So I made the decision at that point. Uh, the class is, if it really is dying, um, nobody's going to care what I do. Uh, there's nobody to ask permission. I'm just going to start becoming the B-Spec class promoter and do all the things that I do in my day job that I get paid for and do them for free for B-Spec. And, sure. you know, we were the third largest class at Indianapolis last week. And uh, since 2017, we had uh, uh, over 300% increase in participation wow. through the pandemic, no less. Right, right. So for, for folks who are listening who might not be involved in the, uh, the nitty gritty of how the SCCA works, uh, you know, the club has depending on the year 24 26 classes and uh the way a class stays uh, it, uh, uh eligible for the runoffs is by participation numbers 
And if the class doesn't have significant participation numbers uh, that meet the threshold of of what the club decides is enough to become to stay a national class, it then gets bumped back to either a, a, a regional class or sometimes it gets folded into another class. Uh, and and that was what BSpec was in danger of having happen in 2017, 2018, uh, before Frank and and uh, and some other folks really started pushing uh, the B-Spec class to, to get more people interested. And, and Frank was the ringleader of that. So, uh, and there's been a lot of classes over the years who have come and gone, that have come and gone uh, and, and suffered this fate. Uh, some of the production classes got swallowed up into other production classes because there just weren't enough numbers. And, uh, and, and so, so, that's how it works. That's the, the inside baseball, the, how the sausage is made of, of how this thing goes. So, so Frank, uh, tell us a little bit about what you did. I mean, you know, to go from almost dead to there was 45 cars this year at Indy. I mean, it was a big number, right? 61, 61. Okay. I I watched a lot of, I watched no, a lot of those okay. races. It was hard to keep track of them. I, I but yeah. I do remember watching B-Spec and going, "That's a crap ton of cars." Yeah, and and I mean, so through my years of racing, you know, a couple of things have have popped out for me. There's always going to be people at the pointy end of the field, and uh, uh, they obviously have a passion for what they do. Otherwise, you can't be at the pointy end of the field if you're just if you're if you're mailing it in, right? You really right. have to be involved. But uh, the rest of the field, you know, people come and go and they participate for a year or two and then they go away and cars sit and and all those kind of things. And it's always intrigued me why people race. And, you know, the, the, the final definition that uh, a friend of mine, uh, Charlie, helped me uh, deal with one time was, you know, I set a couple of track records in ITC and won some races and I wasn't near as happy as he was finishing in the middle of the pack. And over a beer one night, I said, what's your secret? Why, why are you so much happier racing than I am? And, and he really kind of brought it home for me. He said, you know, if I load the tra- car on a trailer on Sunday, like it came off on Friday, I went a little bit faster than the last time I was at this track. And I had a significant, reasonable battle with somebody for a couple of laps somewhere during the course of the race, even if they beat me. Uh, that's a good weekend. And that brings me back. And it, it made me realize if you pull 100 people into a room and you ask them, hey, let's join this new class of racing. And by the way, you know, there's going to be people who are going to put 110 percent effort into it. Um, do you want to join? You, you, you actually tend to turn some of the people off with that notion. But if you were to say, hey, let's have a class of racing where we're all about the enjoyment of racing and hanging around with each other and, you know, stuff is important, the rules and the performance and all of that's important. But we're really here as a as a community to help each other have a good time on the weekend. You're going to have a significantly higher amount of people involved, want to be involved in that. And that's really kind of the secret to BSpec. And, you know, last year we started with Formula Continental as well. Um, when people see that competitors help competitors, um, it tends to bring them into a class. And I think one of the biggest disservices we have within the club is we don't do a good job of helping people find the right class of racing for them. For example, if you like to fabricate, B-Spec is not a class for you because the rules don't support it. 
Right. So I, I personally don't like working on cars. I like driving cars. So a class like B-Spec where there's a limited amount of things that you can do to the car um, uh, is, is really interesting for me, not just from going back to your point about the money from the cost point of view, but also from the time point of view. As you get older, your time costs money, too. Right. So. So, yeah, that's 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 kind of where the foundation of the club came and uh, uh, really helping the people in the group understand what what's great about B-Spec and and helping them verbalize it. You, you know, we turned our participants into salespeople. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I appreciate that you said, you know, I was kind of the ringleader. But, you know, David Doherty was the ringleader for the class well before I joined the class and. Without him, it would have died a long time previously. Right. But it also wasn't really growing. It was just kind of there. And it wasn't in, you know, going to die, but it was so close to the edge of not being counted that it, it was dangerous for the class. So we found a way to kind of break through that. And, uh, you know, 61 people, I think probably the majority of them, if you ask them about their experience at Indianapolis this year at the runoffs, uh, you're going to get a pretty high marks from the majority of people in the class because what happens with 61 people? I don't care if you're 50th. You have somebody to race right. that's in 49th, and you have somebody on your bumper who's 51st. So uh, w- one thing to note is that you know the c- car numbers are always going to be up uh, when you go to a place like Indy because such it's such an iconic place. You know, I grew up thinking to myself I would never have the opportunity to drive at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway because for years, the only thing you could drive there was an Indy car. And, you know, everyone right. knows how to get to there requires a huge name. Like you need to be an Unser or an Andretti, or you have to have, you know, John Menard money to be able to buy your way. I mean, it's just so much that goes into that. Uh, but when they first announced that they were going to go to the runoffs for at Indy, uh, I'm sure I wasn't the only person who went, okay, I got to figure out how to get there. I haven't done it yet. Uh, I I'm still, that's on the bucket list. So, uh, but nonetheless, you know, you, you got to have competitors to get 60 cars there. And, and the best part about something like that is, you know, if, if you're in a class with 60 cars, my dad, when I was younger, ran spec racer and, uh, you know, we used to have 85 cars line up for the June sprints in, in spec racer, you know, and, and you would have it back then it was sports Renault. That's how old I am. So, <laughs> so, you know, so that was a thing, but when you line up 61 cars at the national championship race, 40 of those drivers know they're not racing for a medal. They're racing to have fun. They're racing to enjoy the experience. They're racing to have that battle for 25th spot that you were talking about. And that's, there's got to be something about a class and their participants to get that kind of turnout for that. And that's a lot about what you're talking about, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, I am, I am at least comparing apples to apples because I'm looking at the growth between 2017 Indy and 2021 Indy. So it's the same track four years apart with a pandemic in between. Right. And you mentioned that we have 24, 26, 28 classes that race for the national championship. Only two classes had over 100 percent growth between 2017 and 2021. And they are B-Spec and Formula Continental. So Formula Continental is the class that I started helping last year as well. 
again, there's a ton of other people who did a lot of the work. All I did was help, but it was kind of bring the same concepts to play. And that is what's special about your class and communicate that because, you know, I come back to one thing that's always struck me is we lose more racers because they pick the wrong class of racing to get involved in than we do anything else. And an example of that is if you don't know about the SCCA and that somebody moves into your neighborhood and they have a spec Miata race car and you get all excited because you've always wanted to be a race car driver and you go down and you start talking to them, odds are you're going to end up in spec Miata. Right. The problem is it might not be right for you. Right. So like I said, if you're a person who likes fabrication, you need to be maybe in one of the production classes or a GT class. If you're one of the people who enjoys the nth degree of detail in terms of wing settings and stuff like that, you need to be in an open wheel car or, uh, you know, one of the uh, sports racers right. that have a lot of adjustment in the suspension and the aerodynamics of the car. Um, if you have a, a limited budget, you probably need to be in improved touring. As, as a way to get started, which isn't a national class, it's regional and it's successful in some parts of the country, but, you know, has kind of slowly died away in other parts of the country. So, you know, figuring out how to help people understand wh what's the right place for them is critical. And oh, by the way, it's regional. It's right. not national. Well, so, and, and, and I get this all the time because, you know, if, if you look in my office here, there's race car posters, pictures of cars. My, you know, my family's been driving. I've been doing this for 35 years. So I get the conversation all the time. What, how do I get started in racing? What do I do? And my always first answer is don't buy a race car. Go rent a race car. Find a friend that you can borrow a race car. Make friends with people. Um, uh, trade, trade, trade time working on someone's car to go through a driver's school and spend a year in the club, learning what the club's about, learning what the options are before you spend the money to buy a race car. I don't want people to not buy race cars. I don't want people to buy a race car that there's going to be frustration that they're going to get bored with that they're not going to, you know, they're going to have, it's going to be broken all the time. So they can't fix it if they're not mechanically inclined. Uh, you know, there's all these different options, you know, and, and they'll end up wasting money that they could have used in other ways. So your, your, your advice is so spot on uh, when it comes to finding the right class. And it's not about finding the right class and car because you have to be at the pointy end of the stick. You know, it, it's because, you know, finding the right class and car that you can find enjoyment in it for yourself, you know, and that might be not running up front. Uh, and, and, and I think that's a fantastic thought process. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, I come back to, and again, I hope people please understand these are my personal opinions. I'm not speaking on behalf of the club here, regardless of my uh, positions with the club, but you know, something as simple as how do I get my racing license? The SCCA does a wonderful job of putting everything on the web now with forms and and procedures and processes. And I don't want to take anything away from that. But in reality, it's like the rule book. If you don't know how to read it, it's very difficult to understand what's been given to you. And I would love to see a region have a web page that says, 
I want to go racing, click here. And the answer is we will have a mentor get in touch with you and walk you through the process. The heck without all the paperwork and the rule book and read the GCR and all of that kind of stuff. You're going to have to do that stuff sooner or later anyway. But if you don't have any foundation, uh, it's really hard to comprehend a lot of right. what's in included in there. So as a side note, we won't get to it today. That's going to be an entire podcast for the person who has no idea where to get started. Uh, we're going to walk people through right from, you know, what's a medical and how do I get it? You know, what, what am I, what's going to be expected of me? What are the costs going to be? And, and anybody who wants that mentorship, f find me. I'm happy to spend as much time with someone who wants to get involved with that, with, with our club to do that. And I'll work one-on-one -on -one with you to do that. I, I, I've always felt a mentorship program would be helpful. And, and I agree with you 100%. Yeah, we, we even started a, a Facebook group called How to Get Started in Road Racing. So we've got a 10-step flow chart oh, that fantastic. kind of walks people through the process versus, you know, read the process and develop your own flow chart, right? right. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's pretty clear. And those are the kind of questions we get all the time. For example, where do I go to school? There's not a lot of regional schools left in the country. So people are immediately like, okay, so I'm going to go to a pro school. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, hold up just a second. You know what's good about a regional school? Those are going to be the people that you're going to race against. And those are going to be the, the administrators and the rules makers and all of those kind of people. Those are your peers. So if you go to a regional school, you actually have a head start on racing because you, you start the process of developing a group of friends that will help you when you have a problem. You go to a professional school somewhere in the country, you may make friends with a couple of the people who go there, but you're not gonna call them 18 months from now and say, hey, I don't understand this rule. Can you help me with this process? Or what do I have to do to get registered for this event? Only your regional schools are gonna give you that heads up. So I'm right. a huge supporter of the SCCA regional schools not that I'm against the pro schools. I right. just think that's a, a big help for people. I also think, and this is an idea I've been percolating about for a long time, is that because there are so few schools and because typically, you know, schools happen at the start of the year. And if you want to get racing and it's June, you have to wait till January, February, March to go to a school. Um, I think there'd be a great opportunity for to do uh, virtual driver schools where you could go through the classroom session in like a Zoom meeting. Uh, you could do all of that stuff through with a handful of instructors that the SCCA has picked. And then you can go to a regional race and get started. Um, you know, there's lots of clubs out there that don't require schools. They don't have very many safety problems. If we, if the, if the process would be well thought out, uh, because there's too many times where I've heard people want to get racing and they realize, oh, I can't go to a school for six months. And then they found something else to do over six months. Uh, so I think we have to rethink how we're getting people licensed in our club. Well, I, I don't know how much you know about the club racing experience, but I know in the Northeast and here in the Midwest, that's something that's new that's been really used. So part of the problem of a driver school is from a staffing point of view, you know, a driver school can't be run with as few a people as run a regional race weekend. You, you need way more instructors. So you also have to do it on a weekend when all these instructors aren't racing somewhere else. So that's also becomes difficult. And I and I get all of that. So the club racing experience is the idea that we're going to have 
a alternate form of driver school that fits into a regular race weekend. So in other words, you still have a regional race weekend, but you have a new group, right? You have a group eight. And right. the group eight is the CRE people. And you're either going to have, like we do in the Midwest, in enduro or in the Northeast, they just run regular sessions with lead follow and stuff like that. But they, they, they uh, kind of weave them into the regular race weekend. So the driver school doesn't have to pay for the track rental for the whole right. weekend. Right. That sounds like a great idea. So, um, you know, it's getting started and it, it, there's there's downsides to it, of course. It's interesting with the advent of sim racing and all of this other kind of stuff, uh, track day events, because when I started racing, there was no such thing as a track day event um, that only started back in the 80s and 90s. And uh, insurance was a big thing. And, you know, once insurance got on board, it, that's really exploded. But um, it, there should be some sort of data somewhere where somebody's tracking. Do we have more problems with people who have a sim racing background or a karting background or they came from track day events? There's got to be a way to figure that stuff out. And I think at the end of it, the reality is a good racer is going to be a good racer no matter how they started. And a bad racer is going to be a bad racer no matter how much experience they have. And so offering all these other alternative ways to get your competition license is not the safety uh, uh, thundercloud that I think some people believe it is. Right. They're, they're, they're ways to save our sport. Right. And, and there's ways to teach how to be safe that don't yes. involve having to be in a school for two days and have, you know, five hours of track time with an instructor looking over your shoulder. Other organizations have done that successfully. And, and we kind of get stuck in our ways sometimes in the SCCA a lot of times. And, and that's a frustration for a lot of people. And I think if we have a little bit of an open mind to think about these things, there's ways to work around it. It sounds like Midwest and Northeast has got an idea that's working out here. We did a, a year or two ago, an alternative, alternative driver school where you could do it in a streetcar. You didn't even need a race car for it. And that was really popular, very successful, incredibly safe, had no problems at all. And it was it, it was it was a great way to do it. And, and it didn't have to be with a prep time, you know, of, of a whole, you know, once a year, that kind of thing. You could do those a lot more frequently. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, a deeper dive on how to resurrect a class. Stay with us. This is Inside the SCCA on the Racing Wire Podcasting Network. Let's get back to B-Spec for a second because we, we, sure. we've talked about how you did it or that you did do it. Uh, and the, the success is, un, is, is unquestionable. Uh, let's go a little bit more into the nuts and bolts because, you know, you're helping Formula Continental. There are other classes who would love to have bigger participation. Uh, what's the what's the secret sauce of what you did? So the secret sauce is uh, it's kind of like a, a multi-step process. So the first process is you have to know your constituency. You have to know who who your people are. So uh, in both Formula Continental and in B-Spec, the first thing I did was I pulled every result I could find online and I made a list of everybody who had ever driven a B-Spec car or a Formula Continental car. And, you know, with SCCA, 
results the way they're listed, then their hometowns are there. And obviously social media with Facebook, then you can track the majority of the people down, right? So um, again, long before I joined, uh, BSpec had a Facebook group and so did uh, Formula Continental. Um, I just helped the group kind of change its focus and uh, consider itself to be the on-deck circle of how do we recruit people to, to BSpec. So, uh, you know, now I've got a, a place for the people to congregate. And now I've got a list of people to, to bring to this location. Um, the, the key then, the third part of it is how do you engage them? And, and people feel engaged when they feel like they're part of the process, when they think they're going on a meaningful journey, um, when they uh, feel like their, their contributions to the group are appreciated. Those are all things that are important to, to generate engagement. So uh, you put things in place. So for us in BSpec, it was pretty simple. Uh, David Doherty came up with the idea, let's, let's try to get 20, I think he said 25 cars to the 2019 runoffs at VIR. So I bought my car August 2018 and kind of put stuff in place over the winter between 2018 and 2019. So we had a we had a group goal, right? 25 cars to the VIR runoffs. Now, up until that time, the largest B-Spec race was, I believe, 28 cars back when they were pro. But in reality, we could only identify about 35 B-Spec race cars in the country at the mm. beginning of 2019. So we've, we're, we're dealing with a pool of 35 cars and we're trying to get 25 of them to come to the runoffs. That's, you know, anybody else would have said we were crazy. And uh, the reality is uh, through the work that the group did, um, the advertising, right? Everybody who was a group member became a salesperson because they knew, you know, I, in, in my business life, we talk about the elevator speech. I, got, I get on the elevator with you. On the ground floor, I've got to the second floor to convince you to come to my way of thinking. How do I talk about BSpec? And, you know, I don't care what class you are in racing. Ask 30 people what's great about American Sedan. You're going to get 30 different answers. So the benefit that we had with our group and BSpec is we all got on the same page. We worked hard between the group to figure out what are the cool things about BSpec that makes it different from every other class. And the cool things were, we're not going to have any secrets. We're going to uh, share things with each other. So I sat on the poll at the runoffs in the 2019 uh, at VIR. And I not only did a blog of building my car, I put together an Excel spreadsheet with every part number of every part that was in my car. And that was open to everybody in the class. So you know, that's the kind of stuff that we generated. And so the idea was, you know, what's special about B-Spec? Well, the cars are fairly maintenance free. They're inexpensive to make competitive, not just inexpensive to build, but inexpensive to make competitive. Uh, that car that sat on the pole at the 2019 runoffs cost $10,500 plus labor. Uh, you know, I don't think you can find a pole sitting runoffs car for, for much less than that. If, if even close to it. Right. And, you know, it wasn't just me because the car that won the runoffs wasn't, you know, substantially more expensive than that. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of those kind of things that we did and the same thing with Formula Continental. 
So just getting the group of people together, getting them to understand what's special about their class and to help them understand that, you know, they're kind of responsible to be the salespeople to bring more people on board. Sure. So, so it's not like I brought, you know, 50 people on board. It's that I got the 35 people that were there to think like a group and they brought the 50 people on board that got us to 61, right? So let's, uh, let me ask this question. You said that when you wanted to get 25 cars to the runoffs in 2019, there were only 35 at the time of the 20. So how many did you, did you get at 2019? I think we had 28. Okay. Uh, we had 27 start the race because one of my friends had a pretty bad accident in practice. So he got didn't it. start. We had 28 cars start. So of the 28 cars in, that started, how many of those were among that original 35 and how many were you able to get new on board that became part of the process? Uh, it was probably two thirds of them were among the original 35. So, uh, I mean, even today we had 61 cars at Indianapolis. I don't think there's more than 120 complete cars in the country. Wow. So half the cars in the country were at one single race. That's remarkable. Right. So so Spec Miata had, I think, 100 cars at the runoffs. There's 2,500 Spec Miatas. Right. That's Spec Racer Ford had like 90 cars, but there's hundreds and hundreds of, uh, sorry, SRF3 now. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm also a Spec Renault kind of age. So... But, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. And, you know, a key difference is Spec Miata gets used a lot on the regional side, at least in the areas that I've gone around the country. SRF3 is like a national class. It's not really much of a regional class. Right. Some parts well, of the country he, are successful, but not everywhere. Right. And the other thing with the Spec Miata is, is that, you know, you can get a Spec Miata and you can run it in like nine different classes. So, yes. <laughs> you know, it, it may not be competitive in eight of those classes. Um, but if you want to be able to go and, and run it in a production class, there's a production class for you. There's an ST, I think it's STU, you can run it in as well. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different places where you could, you know, sign up for a couple of different races a weekend uh, if you're inclined to do so. Uh, so even though there's 2,500 Spec Miatas, you know, there might have been 200 at the runoffs, but they're not all running in Spec Miata. So, um, yeah, and, and we're trying to do that with B Spec as well. So, uh, B-Spec cars are, uh, from a regional point of view, run ITB. Right. So you can run regionally improved touring in, in, in those parts of the country that have good class uh, participation in ITB. But they also run an H production. So there were, there were three of us at Indy who ran both B-Spec and H production. Yeah, um, that, that's popular out here. Our, uh, we've got a, a Yaris and a Fit and I believe they both run in the B spec and H production classes. The problem is you have right. to make sure that the regions don't run B spec and H prod in the same run group. <laughs> yes. And, um, and, you know, it's funny because we've actually worked on that very hard this year. So the national run group for majors is B spec and H production in the same class in the same run group. Right. So at least on the regional level, uh, when we decide as a group that we've got two or three people who want to double dip, as they say, to run in both classes, right? We'll write we'll write a letter to the event chairs and ask them to uh, split the groups up. And to date, we've never been turned down. Well, and so, it, it it would be ridiculous for a region not to. They're putting they're throwing money away. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, when you really look at it, it's uh, I know out here in Cal Club, they give a slight discount for the second race group, you know, but let's say it's three hundred dollars to run. And I'm using round numbers and I have no idea because I haven't looked. Maybe three hundred dollars is way low. But if you're if it's three hundred dollars for the first race, and it's two seventy five or two fifty for the second race group. You know, a region is literally throwing money away by not making some you know, making that happen when they can. So um, yeah, and. And it's important to think about the safety side of things as well. So, um, you know, one of the big issues that we have is B-Spec is the slowest national class. And it's the third slowest class overall because regionally there's ITC and ITD in a couple of places in the country that are slower. Sure. And and ITB is actually slightly faster than B-Spec because they allow more rules, uh, parts changes than than B-Spec allows on the cars. So... Uh, sticking us in a group with e-production uh, is substantial uh, right. closing speed differences. And uh, for many years at the runoff, B-Spec was in with either T3 or T4 in a combined runoffs race. Um, but over the past years, we've gotten so big that we've got our own group at the runoffs. And, you know, it would not surprise me in the future to see B-Spec so large that it gets its own group in regional races because, again, uh, there's not many cars with uh, manual transmissions available anymore, and uh, uh, the rules committee has worked very hard on the uh, balance of performance of the cars, and we have some people who are very unhappy with the BOP, but in general, we have six different brands of cars at the runoffs this year, and the spread in the top two-thirds of SRF3 and B-Spec was almost identical, plus or minus 2% in lap times. Sure, sure. Which, so, is, which is a lot, but that's tight when you consider right. we're running six different brands within that, whereas SRF3, it's basically the same car. So um, we're kind of coming up on the clock here, So, and I don't want to take too much of your time. Uh, I'd love to get together with maybe you and David Doherty and do an episode on just what it takes to get started in B-Spec. Um, Cause I think that's, you know, th- that's a class that a lot of people can get, get in, fall in love with, uh, especially when the car numbers in a car counts are as big as, as we're talking here. Uh, so if we could talk about maybe re- doing another one down the road on that, I think that'd be awesome. Uh, the other question I have for you is y- you were, uh, when you put your car together, uh, you said you put videos together, you gave all the parts list. It sounds like you're a guy uh, who loves to share with other people who are trying to do like-minded things. Um, do you have something similar for, let's say I'm a formula V guy who wants to up my formula V numbers. Can you, can you share your, your secret sauce with, with people who want to help grow their class? Yeah, actually Haggerty got in touch with me. So, uh, at the SCCA convention in 2019 pre COVID, um, I did a seminar on what we did in B-Spec, and that's where Formula Continental sat in on it and said, holy smokes, uh, come help us, because, you know, we're we're flirting with 12 cars at the runoffs, and if you don't know, if you have nine cars show up for the runoffs, you can't crown a national champion. You actually have to have oh. 10 cars show up. Wow, um, I didn't know that. So, um, uh, Haggerty was part of that uh, presentation at, uh, at the national convention, and Haggerty asked me to do two uh, seminars for uh, Motorsport Reg members to help them understand how to grow. So I, I will send you a uh, link to those, and Great. those are available for anybody. So there's a part one, part two. 
part one is how do I grow to class? And part two is how do I take that growth from uh, steady to exponential? Because I think at the end of the day, that's what we all really want is exponential growth. None of us have time to grow something 5% a year for 15 years other than the stock market, right? Sure. But um, short term, we need to have big growth. And the second thing is, uh, thank you very much for the idea to uh, talk about what it takes to put together a B-spec car. And I am a sharing person, but really... I think the person you want to talk to is Chris Taylor out of Chris Taylor Racing Services down in Texas. Okay. I think he's actually built more B-spec cars than anybody else in history at this point. And uh, he concentrates on Mazdas and Fiestas, but he'll do any kind of car. So I have a lot of experience with minis, but I don't have a lot of experience with the rest of the cars in the class. Sure. So between David and Chris Taylor, you'll you'll cover all pretty much all six brands of cars. Great. With specific nuances between them. So. Um, beautiful. Not that I don't like to talk, but I think there's somebody <laughs> else who can do a better job. That's fantastic. Frank, thanks for taking some time with us. This was a great conversation. I think there's probably a lot of other topics we can, we can get together with over the next couple of months and years because the podcast is going to last a long time. So thanks for taking some time with me. Uh, thanks for having me. And, uh, uh, I just encourage anybody who wants to get started in road racing to, to go to the Facebook group, how to get started in road racing or, if they want to understand the differences between the classes, almost every class now has a Facebook group. Uh, all the groups aren't don't have the same focus, but uh, you know I'm not one of those people who thinks Facebook is the greatest thing in the world. But message boards are slowly dying, yeah. And uh, Facebook's kind of taken over for that. So if you need information, uh, the SCCA website points you in the right direction and has phone numbers to call. But, uh, you know, sometimes it takes time for people to call you back. You, you, want, you want to get an answer to something really quick, you post it on Facebook. It's amazing how quick you get an answer. Cool. Before we go, I just wanted to add one more thing here. Registration is open for the 2022 U.S. Majors Tour Hoosier Super Tour Preferred Number System. Uh, it opened on Wednesday the 3rd. Drivers who were part of last year's Major Super Tour have until 9 a.m. Central Time on Wednesday, November 10th to secure your repeat conference number for the upcoming year. Uh, there's a whole lot of other stuff going into it, but those who've done that uh, last year know all of those details. It costs $50 to reserve your number. After November 10th, if you haven't secured your number and you had a number last year, you lose it or could potentially lose it. Uh, but after November 10th, all those numbers that haven't been scooped up are then available for new people to come and get those numbers. So uh, get your registration in before the 10th if you want to keep your number from last year. If not then uh, the folks will be able to jump in on the 10th and start reserving for next year as well, and you could lose your number. You can find out how to do all of that on scca.com. It's right on the front page. There's a story with some register here buttons to click. All right, that's going to do it for another episode of Inside the SCCA. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the Racing Wire Podcast Network so you won't miss an episode. It would also be great if you'd leave a comment, especially if it's a good one. Uh, you can follow us on social media on social media to find out who our next guest is going to be and to leave a question for that guest. On Twitter, it's at RacingWireNet. Uh, there's also, there'll be a new Inside the SCCA every week. Have yourself a great week and go play with cars. This is Inside the SCCA. I'm Brian Belansky, and you are listening to the Racing Wire Podcast Network. 
Inside the SCCA is a presentation of the Racing Wire Podcast Network and Rural 15 Productions. This podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, or sponsored by the Sports Car Club of America. The views expressed within are those of the host and our guests and not that of the SCCA.